Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. What's up? What is up? I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the show. On today's Talk House Podcast, Kevin Drew of Broken Social Scene in conversation with John Vanderslice. And joining me to intro this episode from the Windy City, Josh Modell. Welcome back, man. That's me. Thank you very much. Now, Josh, you hosted this event last month at South by Southwest. Tell us, how was the fest this year? It was, as always, a lot of fun and total mania. (laughs) One thing that we'll hear about in the podcast that was introduced to South by this year are these bird scooters that are just all around town and everyone's driving them. And for old guys like me and Kevin Drew and John Vanderslice, uh, they're kind of a menace. But to everybody else, I think uh, they were having some fun on them. Well, Josh, when I saw people tweeting, I I thought at first that it was just like a kick scooter. You know, it didn't even occur to me that they're just issuing fucking motor scooters left and right on 6th Street. Yeah, they go like 20 miles an hour. And (laughs) and I think people riding them feel like they're invincible. Right, right. And to people who haven't been to South By, I mean, you can't even walk, let alone uh, go 20 miles an hour through the streets. But I'll admit, I would have been on one if I was there this year. Well, next year, come down. I'll walk. You scoot. (laughs) Well, this was an awesome talk that happened on the official South By Southwest podcast stage. That was at the uh, Marriott this year, right, Josh? The fancy JW Marriott in Austin, fairly new place. I got the impression when I met with them that Kevin and John had met each other before, but they weren't super close. But what they did was perfect for a TalkHouse podcast. They sat down and they dove in and they dove in deep right away. Not a lot of uh, pleasantries, not a lot of, "Hey, hey, where are you going next on tour? This was like, hey, let's talk about real stuff real quick. I have to say, these are both thoughtful, cerebral artists. Now, Drew is, of course, the leader of the incredible Canadian indie collective Broken Social Scene. That's the squad that's also brought us Leslie Feist, Emily Haynes of Metric, and so many more. Kevin's released a pair of solo records, and with Broken Social Scene, six LPs now. He's also been on the show once before. A couple years ago, he joined us in conversation with Julia Holter from Pitchfork Festival. Yeah, the last proper Broken Social Scene LP was Hug of Thunder from 2017. And then this year, they've already released an EP called Let's Try the After Volume 1. And there's another volume of Let's Try the After coming out in April. Josh, from Let's Try the After Volume 1, let's check out the fantastic track, Boyfriends. Let's get you out of here. Let's get you out of here. Beautiful stuff, right? Amazing. Predictably beautiful. (laughs) Right. Now, this is John Vanderslice's first time on the show, and I was so excited to have him on. He's, of course, a singer-songwriter who's served as this sort of somewhat under-the-radar but insanely prolific and very important force in indie rock for over two decades. Yeah, Vanderslice is one of those guys who's like touched a million records, and it feels like he knows everybody. And he's also got this reputation, deserved reputation, for being really smart, really kind, and really funny. So we knew he would be great on the show. Yeah, he's one of the very few artists who have succeeded in front of the mic and behind the boards. For the last two decades, he's been running his own studio, Tiny Telephone, in San Francisco, 
a lot of TalkHouse podcast guests have recorded amazing records there. I'm thinking Tune Yard, Slater Kinney, Death Cab, Ockerville River, and of course, so many, many other artists that have yet to join us on the show. As a producer, John's worked with Spoon, he's worked with Mountain Goats. He's also put out a ton of his own material. John's newest album, The Cedars, is dropping next month. And from that record, Josh, let's check out I'll Wait For You. I got you into this And I can't get you out of this Cause I'm always gonna Awesome song, as is the rest of the record, which comes out in April. So in this conversation, they talk about therapy right away. Uh, One of them is microdosing. That's John. And Kevin's current therapy is this thing called core acceleration, which he explained to me a little bit after the talk, and it sounds kind of awesome. I want to try it. I feel like finally the music community is really talking about self-care. It's powerful. Yeah, and these guys have been around the block and they, you know, they've come out the other side and and they talk about how tough alcohol is on the road and being successful but not feeling perfect. Totally. And and paying the mortgage, man. I mean, we hear all about the economic realities of running a pro studio in 2019, you know, in the age of everyone's home studio and garage band. And then of course they spend some time at the end talking about those dreaded scooters. <laughs> they also chop it up on Vanderslice's near-death tour experience and Ordering cocaine on the dark web. Should we roll it? Yeah, let's hear it. Kevin. Hi. I'm John. It's a pleasure to be in your company. Pleasure to be in yours. I'm excited. Absolutely. Where do we want to start? It's been a while for me since I've done something like this. We start with wherever you want to start. You were were educating me on the Atlanta, Philly, LA hip hop scene. Oh, yeah. So I have this theory, and it may not be true for everyone, but... I have this theory that you have to have a love that's outside of the thing that you do because the thing that you do breaks your heart so often that you don't want to go home from the thing you do Mm. and then like put on like, let's say like an indie rock record because you've just been working on an indie rock record for nine, 10, 12 hours. So I started branching out into listening to like most, I listened to probably 90% hip hop. And I think part of the reason was that it was, it felt so different. First off, I don't know any rappers. Like, I don't know any rap producers. I don't know anything about that world. But I know too much about the other world. You know, like, for instance, there's this band I love called Spirit of the Beehive. They put out probably one of my top three or four records last year. They played in San Francisco, and I'm, not, I'm just saying this as a, not to diagram that bands should be nice to people at merch tables, but just to give an example of why you need to kind of branch out from these obsessions. So I saw them twice in a row. I was totally obsessed. The second time I saw them, I went up to the merch table to talk to them and they were totally rude. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like, like you'd think that I was like, like that they were not operating a merch table, but they were having like a private conversation and like I had a, a MAGA hat on or something. Do, do you know what I mean? It was mm. like, and so it complicated my, I'm a very sensitive person. I grew up in the South. I, I prize politeness and gentility and, and kindness and it rattled me because I was like whoa I love this band and they were like rude to me and my friends like it wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't just me I, I wouldn't could be their 
their thing, though, to sell more merch. <laughs> did, well, well, we didn't buy anything. They spooked us away from the table. Real? Well, I think, it are they the, younger, younger? They're not that young. Oh, there's really? no, I don't think there's, yeah. Well, it's difficult probably to go from stage to merch. I don't think it is. No. I think it's really, well, you've done it before. I think it's really easy. I just feel like I'm going to run into them and I just want to keep it <laughs> no, cool. I'm going to run into them too. Yeah. Uh, let's just go back. So do you find that, because I listened to your new songs and Will Call, do you find that you find yourself influenced in the studio production wise by getting outside of what you're, you're listening to? Because that's that was different what I heard yes. your, your new single and the way that you present it and the sounds that you have. Yes. Very, very elegant yes. and cool. And Thank you. So let's go there. Let's talk about that. There must you must have some influence coming in. So I would say that the the highest compliment I ever got on the new record was from the, a percussionist who plays with me named Andrew McGuire, and he said that philosophically it feels like your album is like a rap record. And I was like, nice. I almost started crying because to me, and he didn't say that's good or bad. He just said that that's what it strikes me. My goal was to bring in kind of the rhythmic commitment and information of what I hear in a, in a lot of rap records. And to bring it in as far as I can in, 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 the, in the way that we would merge drum machines and drummers and percussionists into one kind of engine where the primary kind of directive was to have like this committed rhythmic thing that was appealing and groovy and danceable to some degree and, and to get out of like having drums drive everything yeah. and, and, and also like drumming quote unquote drum fills and cymbals and stuff that really drives a lot of if you set up in, in, a, in a room with a drummer and a bass player and a guitar player there's 70 years the history of rock and roll is weighing on you and it's hard to get out of that so we we went to the linear land of drum machines and then built on that have you now say your studio again for me it's called Tiny Telephone. Tiny Telephone. Now, have you? Is that influenced gear that you're buying, or do you still like the analog, or you find yourself in the box? So I'm kind of like maybe stupid in this way, in that I probably should be in the box, and I probably should be in a computer, and maybe it's because I'm stubborn, but maybe also, and it's funny because I wonder why I stick to these things because I do think it probably sounds better if you're on tape, but it's there's so much energy to do this. So what we did was that we recorded onto tape, and that we used these this box called a square wave generator. Okay. So it's like an old school, like pre simpty directive. Like it tells any CV device what tempo to look for and it kind of clocks to that. So we could slave like an 808 or um, a modular Moog to a tempo that's on the tape machine. And so doing this, and it sounds so easy and elegant when you put it that way, but it's days of setup. We, I liked it because when it really clicked, when it really worked, when you would have like six or seven things locking in with the tape machine. When it really worked, mm. it was like the most beautiful, unknowable combination of sounds. And when it didn't work, it was like a total buzzkill. Did this time that you spent, now this is your first record in how long now? Five years. Five years. So did you, I know for myself, some, sometimes I, I'll go in to make records and I just need to make them quickly. And yes. other times I want it to occupy my time. I yes. want it to occupy my, my yes. life. I want to see, I want to go down certain roads, try out, yes. experiment and be creative. Uh, is that something that you did with this new one? Did you say, I'm going to especially the way that you just explained what you were doing with the tape machine and lining everything up? Jenny from Native Cat allowed me to, to have a little bit more of a, Thank you, Jenny, of a, of a cushion in the studio where I knew that I had more time than the bare bones recording. Mm. And I also knew that if I was going to make, I had, I had made 10 records 
and then stopped making records purpose. I was just like, you know, 10 records sounds good. Yeah. Like it's a good number. It's a good number mm-hmm. and it's a powerful number. And and I'm and I'm not addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I I can still hear, you know, 16k like what's not to love. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not I'm, I'm emotionally shattered. I might be emotionally damaged, <laughs> but I'm not I'm not broken. <laughs> and like so I thought this is a good thing. I'll just produce records and I'll like like find a hobby or something. So I thought if I'm going to make another record, it has to be a real departure. It mm-hmm. has to be a separation. Plus I've learned a lot and I th- I think very differently about music now and also I produce so many bands that have that do so many interesting different things than what I was capable of doing and I wanted to pull that stuff in, you know. That's important. It is. And I wanted to make a a good record. You know, I didn't want to like pollute the, I, most people are like, oh, there's so much bad music out there. I'm like the opposite. I'm like, there's too many good records. No, there is. There's There's too many. There's so much good. And it's constantly, we used to go back to the record stores and just walk in and we used to follow Drag City or Thrill Jockey or Touch and Go and, and who was playing what and what musicians were playing on those records and. And I find you can do that again. You can start yes. tracing in the recommendation because you used to ask the record store guys yes. and say, what, what should I get today? What am I doing today? And where am I going in the Moax and Ninja Tune? It was insane. Yes. And I feel like that's happening again. Yes. But then streaming, they recommend yes. you're listening to this, you're listening yes. to that, and it's endless. It's endless and it's beautiful. I, I enjoy it. As a musician, I've had my problems with it. Yeah. Uh, but as a listener, I have not at all. Yes. I've just, I've lost days yes. having a wonderful time in my living room, especially yep. in the winter, just yeah. discovering bands. And, and, and for me, it was ambient music. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And that's what I would go home and put on all the time. Oh, you got to tell what, like what things- I'll, I'll send yeah, you, please we'll, we'll, do. We're going we're gonna to do a little something, something. But um, I want to get to the road because I read that you quit touring. Yes. Yes. And I read that you quit touring because you had a- you almost were in a fatal accident or something well, I, happened that made you say, okay, that could have happened in the van. I don't want to go out like this. Yeah. And and we're, our lives are products of the rumble strip, you yes. know, especially right. in Europe. Yes. You hit that rumble strip, you're sleeping in a bunk yeah. and it's the scariest feeling to yep. wake up to. Yep. What what made you walk away? So it was, um, we were on the 80 and, and we were um, we were going probably... 75, 80 miles an hour. And it was, and it was dusk and we were in, I think we were in Ohio and there was a car parked on the 80 and it didn't have its hazards on. It was just parked. And maybe the car seized up or something, but there wasn't even like brake lights. So we were cooking and we were in the, with the slow lane and we saw the car maybe 50, 30 yards ahead of hitting it. And the driver swerved over to the other lane and the van kind of keeled up on two wheels. And I was like, nope, we're, we're, we're out, we're gonna flip. I was like, I knew it. Like, I, and, and we didn't, and there wasn't a truck there. There wasn't a car. We didn't push anyone over. The van went down, we passed the car. I mean, we barely made it around this car. And I thought just immediately, I'm out, I'm done. I had a great run. I was totally happy. I didn't say anything to anyone. We were all quiet and just like, well, we're certainly, you know, when you, when you tour, you have so many close calls that you actually, your neurons won't fire anymore. You know what I mean? But this, my like primal brain was like, no, you're too far out. You're too far out in the ocean. You need to come back. And so I basically went home knowing that I would never tour again. That sort of sounds like you, Seth, what, uh, Cat Stevens. Oh yeah. He was in the ocean. Oh, tell me. Tell, get, he was me. in the ocean and he was, I think he was in Malibu and uh, 
he just got caught in the tide. And he said, God, if you let me live, I swear I'll change it all. Wow. And he got to the shore and I got to see his tour. He did this thing called, um, how, do you, how do you pronounce his name? Yusuf Islam. It yeah. was like Yusuf Cat Stevens in the attic. So yeah. he rebuilt his, his attic where he used to live yeah. when he was a child. And it was stunning. That's amazing. It was stunning. It was such a stunning show. And he literally closed the show with a monologue from Zootopia. <laughs> no. <laughs> the bunny's monologue at the end. And he just said, it's really that simple, folks. If we could follow this monologue from this children's film. It was... It, That's I, amazing. Yeah. It was... Uh, I was turning 40 <laughs> and it was a 40th birthday. And my partner at the time brought me and I'll never forget that because um, it... Uh, it was, it was another one of those things where I thought, oh, he's coming into town. I knew about it. And then, yeah. so do you want to go? It's like, sure, I'll go. And then yeah. I just they said, what, what, what am I, what was I thinking? I know every single song. That's he, amazing. He busted into trouble and I got teary-eyed. Oh my God. Because I was a child of Harold and Mott. You know, I saw that when I was 12 and oh, thought yeah. this is the greatest film of all time. Oh yeah. But either way, getting back to, it's, it's amazing how when you're on the road, the drivers, that's the most important person yes. on the road. Yes. Is the driver. Of the van or the tour bus. Yes. That's it. Yep. That Absolutely. person has yeah. your life. And we know in their people hands. who've who've yeah, we who do. have died. We know people who've like lost the ability to walk. It's like it's it's the way that you're gonna go out, you know? The the fast way, the slow mo way is alcohol. And then there's that's great. Nice segue. Yes. Because that is the truth. I, I mean, we're now in our forties. I don't know how yeah. old you are. But we I'm, I'm fifty-one. Have, there you go. We have yeah. members in our band the same way. And I always was warned. You know, it's not going to be heroin. It's not going to be yes. cocaine. It's not going to be marijuana. Yeah. It's going to be alcohol that you're going to slowly. So do see. all those other drugs and don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> and I'm actually not not kidding. <laughs> well, but it's interesting to see that on the road as well because yeah. it's getting introduced to the nonstop twenty-four hour bar. Yes. I didn't realize how much I, it was just going to suck yes. us into that world. Absolutely. And we're, we are in the business of selling booze. Yeah. That's what we do. Yep. And uh, the party that uh, never stops, you have to stay on top of that. Yes, absolutely. And my response early on, so I've, I'm very unusual. I'm a social libertarian to the hilt. Like I don't have any, there's no, I'm Dutch blood. I, I have Dutch blood. I don't have, there's nothing in my body that wants me to tell someone what to do. Yeah. And I assume that they can handle their own business. You know what I mean? Like yeah. until they can't. And then- I'm the I, exact opposite, but I'm changing. Well, there, there's logic in, in your position, but, but my position is like the government should be, there should be like a drug rehab center on every corner. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there should be no end to harm reduction you know, measures, the, right? And, and watching the fentanyl, watching the opiate crisis break out. They, they allowed all this stuff to yeah. happen, man. I mean, Purdue Pharmaceutical never even, no one even went to jail for all this shit. Like they, they wouldn't so put crazy. gel in oxys for 10 years because they knew people were crushing them up. So the problem is, is it's, it's always like exacerbated or created by your government. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so my thing, I've never drank alcohol once on tour since I've been playing solo, which started in 2001. So since for 2001, I played 1100 shows. I've never drank, I've never had alcohol. I was just at brunch this morning where- Mimosa party. <laughs> yeah, so they were drinking, I was just like, now I'm a guy who orders cocaine from the dark web. And I was like, literally about to be like, are you fucking crazy? It's like noon and you're having a margarita. Are you insane? 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? What is the dark web? Oh, I, d- I know baby. nothing about oh, this. Oh, I, I and know. And people I, are starting to tell me. You need to get, yeah. If you, But that's only if you want to change your, it will change your relationship to drugs. Mm. And that could, it's probably going to be a positive thing. But the dark web is just a, um, a beautiful, highly unregulated marketplace where you can purchase very high quality drugs and the good sellers have four, five, ten thousand reviews. So you're not you're it's not random. It's like Amazon style. So there's Yelp reviews on the drugs that you can buy on yes. the dark web. And there's lab reports. So like for instance, if you buy cocaine, you can easily find us or you can find a seller where there's a lab report on their cocaine, which which is essentially pharmaceutical cocaine. It's like eighty seven to eighty nine percent pure I, cocaine. I've noticed a return in hallucinogenics. I've noticed that yes. acid is really sort of and that's dark web. That's what's yeah. happening. And, and it's real acid. It's good it's acid. It's real acid. Yes. And, and it's uh, people in their later years going yes. back yep. and, and wanting to sort yes. of re-educate their minds and not want to be a part of the neurological pathways that yes. they've burnt with their own yes. patterns. Yes, because they're all fucked up. Yeah, patterns. because they're all fucked up. Yep. And we're all com- coming out of this like, wait yes. a second, I don't know how to unlock that. Yes. And of course, you can sit in therapy and you can read your books and you can practice uh, meditation and things like that. But a lot of people are saying, fuck it, I'm going to go take some acid yeah. and really see if I can rejig the way that I'm seeing things. And maybe do all of them, you know, all of the above, you know? I mean, I, I started microdosing about eight months ago and to me it was incredibly valuable, but I'm also in therapy. So it's yeah. it's part of the, you know, part of the whole thing. Do you ever microdose and go into therapy? I have because I microdose every third day. So definitely I've gone <laughs> in after I microdose. Now, the whole point to microdosing is... It's exactly what you said. Like yeah. we have these neural pathways that are, they're c- concrete, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I was heavily traumatized as a, as a child from mm-hmm. like a very unstable, like social family system. So for me, I have these just negative loops that yeah. I've been I'm in forever. Uh, y- yes. And I've been working on that for the last two years just because it just really became a toxic environment for myself and those around me. Just the rumination just kept going and going. Tell me more. How, how, did, how does this play out? I, real, I started studying a little bit of the neurological yes. pathways and how we have them burned to our minds. And, and, and I've just, I've got into something, this is, if we want to go there. Yes, we It's do. called core frequency acceleration. Yes. And it's uh, all about frequency. And it's, yeah. it's, to say what it's like, it has that mix of Reiki and osteopath, but it's pure frequency. Tell me what Reiki is, because I don't know what I that don't, is. I don't, I'm not going to okay. bust into that okay. because I won't do a really well self-description okay. of it. And okay. I'll just sound like a fool, but someone can, anybody in the audience? <sighs> I want to <laughs> talk about Reiki. Thousands. <laughs> uh, we know it's energy. Okay. We, we're going to base it down on that. And um, I very much try not to throw the comments around. It changed my life. But yes. this treatment is definitely changing my life. And how, do, how, does it, how does the treatment like... It basically takes away your garbage. It's like a garbage collection and just gets rid of it. But you have to be it. completely honest. Yeah. You can't, you can't hide from yourself. and You yes. can't hide from anything that you've done. Or, yeah. But you also have to... You're not really going in to sit and talk about it like therapy or explain and then get into your, you know, everyone's a victim of a victim and your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. Yes. You skip that process. You just get it out of you and then you move forward. And every day you're just trying to get to, uh, it's just about getting to the the high level, the place where it very much sounds like you're living, where it's just you're, you're free of yourself and you're free of yes. the paths, the the patterns that you've burnt into yourself. So just, it's changed your life. It's changing my life. Do you feel like much happier? Was it? A, I do. It? I was not happy there for a while, and I and I, 
you know, I said to a friend the other day, the only thing I regret is how much time I spent regretting and how much time I spoke about with others, how much I regretted. And it was hard for me to sort of get out of that loop. I was stuck. How connected was it to music creativity, band management? It's it's actually not. It was more just about, and it's, you know, it's a constant work in progress, but it was more just about my own side of the street. And uh, was your person, did your personal life also like suffer from, from, from this stuff? Yes. I think in the aspect of whenever you're, if you know, I live in the high and low life, it's highs and it's lows. And there's a lot of stereotypes to the aspects of how creative I can be in this area and that area. And of course now it's all under the microscope. And, but I really realized I just didn't want to do that anymore because it's, it's just becomes a, and it's, it is a work in process, but it becomes a constant annoying suffering aspect yes. to the day to day. And uh, it's more about, I think with the band, I mean, we are sort of who we are Yeah. and we're not gonna change. I mean, I mean my drummer and I yesterday got into a little something, something, and it was just, once again, this is where we would go. Yeah. We went there, we immediately pulled out, we hugged and we embraced, said, sorry, this is just crazy. We're at yeah. South by, it's nuts. And, but you're constantly, you know, the band with me, they never knew who they were going to get. And yes. sometimes they still don't. Yes. And, uh, but the aspect of why we're still here is because of this aspect of friendship and love and wanting to continue. And yes. we love playing music together. Yes. So when we made Hug of Thunder, case in point, I knew I was drinking too much. I had a lot going on and, and there was a lot of confusion to what was going on around me. And I stopped drinking because I realized I wasn't yeah. going to be good to anybody. So it was a wonderful six months where it was a lot, you just, you just gain patience back. That's, yes. what, that's what arrives inside yeah. of you. And then as we continued touring, we, we had a good time. Yeah. And we played a lot of shows and we loved playing for the people. And, yeah. And we decided we wanted to keep going. So you're not gonna change who you are, but you wanna change your relationship to how you are yes. involved yes. in what you're doing yes. and, and all that's And how you read everything, you know, because yep. we can have incredibly negative emotions, but yep. it depends on how you actually like process and intellectualize those emotions. Well, it you is know? a state of mind. And that's something that a lot of the times I think people, and right now I've noticed just, I've noticed that suicide is just becoming more and more just, a daily topic and yeah. a lot of people are leaving and now a lot of shows are embracing it in bands like 21 Pilots is blowing up, uh, embracing you know the suicidal and saving the kids, but at the same time, they're also introducing them to it. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, you know, a misbalance there within that, that there's some responsibility to, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, it seems that it's a very hot topic right now. And I wrote this play that I did back in Toronto a couple of years ago now. Dude, that's fascinating. Yeah, it was strange. I want, I needed to do something. And, and uh, how important was that for you to just get out to of To write like, it was incredible. It was amazing, I loved it. And it was, their suicide was a, a main part in it. And uh, it was about these songwriters who are angels and all the great songs and, and all the ballads in the world are written by these angels and where they try out their A&Rs right when someone's about to kill themselves. So oh, then they come in fascinating. and they sing that's their great. songs. And if they live, you know, it's gonna be a hit. And if they kill themselves, then it's it's not gonna work. Damn. So these guys are on that's a total like fantastic. <laughs> so everyone's killing themselves. And that was the play. So they had to figure out how to write a hit to save these people. And uh, I wrote that back in sort of 2014 and 15. And then we did it in 17. And I to put it on, the director asked, for myself to act in it. And I grabbed a, a friend of mine who was a lead singer as well in a band called Billy Talent to do it with me. It was nuts. 
I bet it was nuts. It was, uh, to talk about method acting, and I just got off the road, I had the flu, a friend of mine had just passed away and I, he was, that was happening for a long time. So I was completely, though so grateful and happy to be in his life, I was yeah. also very uncomfortable, but I couldn't nail it. I didn't know how to describe it. I didn't know how to pinpoint why. And it made me very uh, vulnerable to enjoying a moment or not being there. Yeah. It's, it, it took a while to process to unpack, but uh, I realized it was just, a, I was, oh, wow, I was just really uncomfortable. And then I was throwing myself into this play <laughs> where I had to be a sort of speed version of the stereotype of a diva lead singer. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't turn it off. I didn't know what was going on for <laughs> oh, three man. weeks. I didn't know what was what. And God bless the cast and crew because they just were really cool. And we went through and we did it. I don't think I'd ever do it again, but I very much enjoyed the writing process. Yeah. And I very much enjoyed bringing people out to the theater. Yes. Selling booze at yes. the bar. Yes. And telling people not to kill themselves. Yes. And that's what we did. And yeah. I was just watching a show recently where the, you know, the best out is suicide and that's how you could live a much freer life knowing you can take your life at any time. Yes. And yeah. I just find that it's it's becoming more and more prominent. We're seeing it more and more in obviously the vulnerable world of making art and, in, oh, yeah. and the changing of the tide and how this stuff oh, is, yeah. we're getting a little more and more disposable, a little more and more yes. pushed aside. And yep. the voices of artists are, are sort of quiet now because everyone is really, really into being able to be in their own spot. Yes, and the record cycle exacerbates whatever high and low thing you got going on, yeah. it, will, it will push you up and down way further. Oh yeah. I think there's this aspect that I've been saying for a while is that I feel like, and you seem someone like this, that it's really gonna change. And when it does, it's gonna go into social work. Yeah. I really hope that social yes. work becomes the new aspect yes. of the typical rock star. Yes. That's, that that's where we all start going because yeah no matter how horrible it is and how many Marky Wahlberg rock star films we see. And then we got dirt coming out with Motley Crue and yeah. just this constant stereotype of bullshit that keeps yeah. going that will constantly still fly. There is something to the idea of it will have its ending. And then all you really wanted to do in the first place before you started screaming at crew people was help people. Yes, yeah. And, and connect with an audience connect in, with in whatever way you can. And narcissism wasn't really the aspect yeah. of why you were doing that. Yeah. And popularity didn't yeah. dominate the field of why. Well, you started probably in a basement recording alone, yeah. <laughs> which on is very, very different. You know? And I totally. find a lot, as you were saying, a lot of this new music, it's great because you can see that's where a yeah. lot of these people are starting. Yes. And also, you know, part of the, the rap thing for me is that it's totally disconnected from spending money on production. You know, my whole life is studios, studio time, consoles, buying a Neve channel that costs $4,000, like stuff that's actually untenable in the marketplace of like independent music. And rap has like kind of disconnected itself from studios, from live performance or even live production needs at its core. You know what I mean? Like mm. there's tons and tons of experimental rappers that have they've been looking at GarageBand screen and that's it. And that's, that's their inner and, and, and SoundCloud and Bandcamp until they like actually have some fans. They're not, com I mean, I was touring in a van when I had no fans, you know, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's so, it's almost like opposite world in, in like indie rock where you, you, the onus is on you to, to actually go door to door and like 
print up cassettes or CDs or records and and like go backwards and, and create yeah, you like You have fans. to push it. I remember so it. many artists, they burn 500 CDs because that's what you had to buy. Yeah. And then yes. they just go under the bed. Yes, yeah. And yeah. I would always say back in the day, like if you're going to do it, don't put yeah. these under your bed. Yeah, Make because sure. monsters are real. <laughs> <laughs> monsters are real. And they'll rip your shit off. Yeah, they will tell That's cool. I, I think that uh, it's interesting because there are so many studios out there now. Remember yeah, I, when the studios were dying down? Now I, they're just all back. And I don't, I used to be like a like a pastor that was like, I believed in God. I believed in spreading mm-hmm. the word of God. I'm, I'm almost like a complete closet atheist now with studios. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't care anymore. I'm moving to Los Angeles as a reaction partially to this. Like I, you know. Are you moving there? I'm moving there in June. Someone gave, gave a great analogy about LA. It's like, it's the tip. It's the back of the Titanic. Everyone's yeah, running to totally, the back. Absolutely, definitely. <laughs> That's what LA is. And it's amazing because you go down to LA and there's just like there's just like box vans and U-Hauls everywhere because everyone's moving there. But you also hear like there's more there's more work out there. There's yeah. more work. There's Everybody's no work in, anywhere. There's no so. work. You gotta go to LA. There's lots of work out in LA. <laughs> there's no work like in LA or anywhere in the guy. Like, good luck. Well, you just gotta get there on time. Yes. Well, for me, it's all my friends are down. You know, a lot of my oh, friends, especially from San Francisco, like, yeah. I mean, half the city bailed down there. I have but, a love-hate with uh, LA, but you know what? It's it's a great town. Yes, great it is. Town. And I, I think I used to have a, um, I think I used to be very ambivalent to LA. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm, you know, we're close. I'm, I'm so close to there. Yeah, you're I, Cisco. And I, and I work there, so it's like... And your town is taking a massive hit is it not san francisco it should i mean it should take a hit from a missile is what it should i mean that thing should be wiped out and that's just because why just because the tech world came in there and i think you can't pump like billions and billions of dollars into a seven by seven peninsula that was already one of the richest places in the world you Mm. know it's like it's perverse i mean there's like this world um city um expense index that came out last year basically like it aggregated like rent buying uh you know electricity costs healthcare costs you know quality of living cpi stuff all into like what it costs to live in a city in each year and san francisco was number one and oakland was number four and i think like tokyo is like three you know so you're you like you could live in let's say like you know strasbourg or paris or you could live in barcelona or you could live in like copenhagen or you could live in san francisco and it's like no, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like San Francisco is not is not like that. It's yeah. not all that. You know? And you're gonna get your studio out of there. The studios ha- have to stay because part of the the kind of the. Can I cuss on? Am I allowed to cuss on? Yeah, yeah so see, it's, it's part the, of the dark web. <laughs> fucking. You know what's funny is that I'm worried want. about cussing, but I've already been endorsing hard drug use, so it's like. <laughs> The the mind fuck of a studio is that mm. there it's so infrastructure based. I mean, basically you're building a room inside of a room, and you have to like redo all the electrical and all of the HVAC. It's a sucker's game because you're you're actually like building like a clean room as if you're in biotech, but you're just charging like three hundred dollars a day. It's like a mm. you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's a joke, you know. I will work there for three hundred dollars a day. Yes. I wasn't aware. Is that what you charge? Yeah, the studios are cheap. Really? Yeah, the studios are cheap, but they're they're historically under market and they're historically sold out. So, the, oh, that's the, wonderful. It's, that's it's, good. It's great. It it's makes all, that must make you feel great. It's it and it is social. I think it's yeah. social. And I honestly think that the world owes me a lot for running those. <laughs> like I really do. Like I can, with a straight face, ask someone for money. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I have no problem with that. Yeah. And I can ask Ritual Coffee for six pounds of coffee a week with a straight face because I think we deserve it. You know, that's, that's a local roaster in San Francisco. Yeah. No. That's uh, quite good. I like that confidence. 
Yeah, well, it's it's earned from being beaten down by yeah. a, by a tech city for so long. You yeah. Know? So the thing with the studio, those studios will stay in San Francisco. There's two rooms in San Francisco. There's one in Oakland because the infrastructure costs. It's it, usually studios are seven year payoff. So yeah. you build them seven years. And I was a, for the first five years of the A room in Tiny Telephone, I was a waiter. So that's how I funded the studio. I was a, and I made probably more money then than I do now, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. And once the studios are paid off, they really have to stay still and just like make money because then they're paying off the next room. Yep. So then I opened the B room and that the A room was paying off that and now the A and B room are paying off Oakland. Oakland has two and a half more years of loans and then like on its surface, as long as everything stays the same, I am month to month in, in leases in San Francisco in all places. So we are very vulnerable and th th that we're even still there is crazy. It sounds crazy, but it's, I love how thorough you've been in this description of keeping your studios in Cisco and Oakland. Yes, I, I think about this stuff, it keeps me up and, <laughs> and like I'm, uh, I'm on the edge of bankruptcy um, and I, you know, there's a lot of goodwill towards the studio. So I, I, I leverage that as much as I can. And so the studios will stay, we have a studio manager, Jacob Winnick, who's awesome. There's seven full-time, there's six full-time engineers and one part-time engineer right Amazing. now. Three of them are female. That's untouchable. Amazing. It'll probably be majority female next year. The rate of the A room is less than it was in 2004. So we try to like make the studio affordable to independent bands that like rents, you know, repeat cycle, like where we, they make a record, they go on tour and they come back and make another record. We've never advertised once. It's a very strange, it's a very strange business model. And it was created, it was improvised over many years. That's amazing. And it's still functioning. And one day it won't function. And, and that's okay. That's I'm totally okay. at peace with, with, they're trying to sell the compound in San Francisco. And if they do, I'll just pull all the gear down to LA. Yeah. And you're, you're going down there in June to work or you have bands in mind that you're going down to work with? I mean, we don't have to talk about that either, but. Well, I, I'm there. There's I'm just an, so enthralled by what you just said. You threw me off because yeah. I, I started thinking about my mortgage. I, <laughs> I think about my mortgage every day. Like, wait a second, where am I at with my mortgage? I, I actually, I don't know if you have this stuff because you're in Canada, right? Yeah. You're, are you in Toronto? I am. Yeah, lovely city. So the um, lovely town. In I'm got was so late on my mortgage that they I'm on probation now. They sent me they sent me a for basically like so many foreclosure letters that I end I'm now in a period of probation where I cannot pay my mortgage using anything other than a cashier's check. Oh, so it wow. creates a tremendous amount of stress if I'm on tour to pay my mortgage. But I deserve it. I was late. Yeah. So many times I don't I'm not mad about it. You but did this. That's I, classic I, saying. I, you I, did this. I did, I did this. So my friend John Congleton, who's an engineer and okay. producer in LA, I'm renting his house. Wonderful. He is now building a new studio in LA, which is close to that house. And so I'll probably end up working in his studio. And so I'm kind of, and I live right next to Gus Seifert and, and Bedouin. So I'm part of this like cool Gus. constellation of creative people and I'm psyched. Are you out in that hood? I'm in that hood, oh, historic Filipino town. I'm next door to Gus and And, and, and he has the big, he has the Tascam uh, quarter inch, doesn't he? he, he yes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He, I love that studio. That's great. I, I only went there once, and he showed. This is what we first made our records on, which was a Tascam. What's it called? I think it's three eighty eight. Yeah, is that quarter sound right? inch reel to reel? Yeah. yeah, we did feel good lost. Broken social scene. That's feel awesome. good lost on that. That's awesome. And I remember walking into Gus's house and seeing that, and it was as if oh, right, I was just brought you back. Hit by the youth of making these yes. records. Cause Charles Spearin from Do Make Say Think 
and myself worked together on that uh, 388 with Casey Accidental and do make some, say think wonderful wonderful incredible band made some of their records on the D88 and then we then we, oh excuse me the Tascam but then yeah. we hooked it up to a is that what it's called the D88 yeah I think that you mean the uh, is that a dat thing yeah the dat. yeah 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 oh so we could get more uh, tracks fifteen tracks there you go because we had to have one for uh, is it Simpty Simpty yeah. yeah yep we had yeah. to have one track for Simpty that's, awesome. <laughs> that's how we used to do it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And the 388 has vibe for, for weeks, oh man. Oh, my God. It's incredible. It's great. A lot of, lot of really, really good records done on 388. Really? Amazing. By the way, thank, thank, you, before we, thank you for your thoughtful questions and your kind, <laughs> wonderful, pleasantness. Well, thank you. You actually, as soon as I met you, I thought, oh, okay, this is going to go great. I'm not really doing interviews but, because I don't really have anything... I totally agree. Yeah. You know, but yeah. there's other voices to be heard. Yeah. We know that. I'm just trying to keep up with the times and stay educated yeah. on them. Yes. And uh, I think you understand this and let's both have some closing comments, but it's not, the middle class is dead. It's gone. Yes. We live in the middle class. Yes. Um, and uh, the ones who want to go out and fight for the middle class, it's very difficult for them yes. because once you're in the upper class, it's hard to, uh, to turn around because yeah. you're going with that flow that's yeah. happening. And uh, you seem like a very grateful person, which is a wonderful thing because I think a lot of us get lost in what we don't have. And it's, it's a cycle, it's a rumination that, can, that yes. can go on. But as you get older, you just, I think there is so much freedom in age where you just realize this is not what I need anymore. Yes. This is not, I was saying to people, I don't need the details, I just need the answer. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so much time that gets lost in details. Yes. But it's it is wonderful to be sitting here with you to be at South by. It's kind of we're you know reliving our youth. I'm sure you've done yes, this festival, yes. so have we. And it's absurd that we're here, but we're just having such a great time. Yeah. And even just throwing all your gear up and getting some guy like you're on in five, and you don't even have your guitars out of the cases. <laughs> yes, yes. There's something really wonderful about that. Yeah. And uh, it strips the veneer. Yeah. You know. And there's a camaraderie in in the idea that you're. We're still here. We're still doing it, and uh, you're still trying to connect with the people. And I think, personally, for us, we still love making music and putting yes. out music. And we just put out this new EP, and we all love it. And just hearing uh, the two new songs that I've heard, it's just fresh. That's awesome, and it's lovely. And I just think that that's something to be celebrated amongst a couple of guys with microphones drinking some soda water at South by Southwest. <laughs> but a soda water company owned by uh, either PepsiCo or Coca-Cola. Oh, is it really? Yes, of course. Because this world is so contaminated. Well, Why I just you? saw, we, I mean, where we are right now is we're at South by Southwest and I've seen four scooter accidents since I've been here. We saw two gnarly ones last night. Oh God, it's terrible. Yeah. It's absolutely, and that's Uber. And that's just like, there's no guidelines, there's no safety, there's no yep. helmets, yeah. regulations. Yep. And... It's a festival. And, and I am a social libertarian, but I actually do, if I was going to regulate anything, it would be like bird, these scooters. Like, cause yeah. I, 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 someone's going to die. Like no, someone no, no, is no, going to die. We're going to read about it when this is done. I've yeah. seen too much. And when yeah. we take the stage, I just, this has to stop. Yeah. You have to it's get this out of your it's city. Madness. Your city's too beautiful for this shit. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It, it is. is. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Any uh, last minute questions about scooters? Anyone? No? Okay, John, last words, please. Where are we time-wise? We're in the infinite dark web. There's no time. Oh, evidently, 
I have to choose between two roads, infinite no t- no time or two minutes. David. Where we're going, there's no road. Okay, um, I, I do, you mentioned like being appreciative. I do feel appreciative. And I think that part of that is that if we, I'm sure we both deal with depression. If you deal with stuff and you, you actually face it, Mm. and you survive it you either come out crazy as fuck or like really humble and i just chose the the brighter of the two roads so i feel really happy that i'm alive that's amazing and it feels like everything feels like gravy to me you know i love it i'm i still feel sorry yeah but uh i i want to live yeah and and, and that, that that will change yeah because you're in you're in very important therapy right now and it's changing you very important frequency. <laughs> it is core it's, frequency. I need to know about this, and then it's I'll tell wild. you. And I'll tell you about what I know. Yeah, let's exchange that outside of uh, the stereotypes of two lead singers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you, John. I appreciate it very much, Kevin. It was a pleasure yeah. talking to you, and and thanks for Talkhouse for doing this. And yeah, thank, thank you, Josh, you Talkhouse. Thank, thank you, Kari, and thank you. What's, your, what's your name? Crowd clap. Thank you, here. Sean. Sean? Yes. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. John, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, definitely make sure to check out New Broken Social Scene and John Vanderslice music, both coming in April. And of course, check out Kevin's chat with Julia Holter from our archives. You can find TalkHouse on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. And guess what? We're selling these for free. Josh, you got a couple pictures at the talk that'll be showing up on our socials. That's at TalkHouse across the board. I want to give a big thanks to Cadence 13 and South by Southwest for having the TalkHouse as part of their official podcast lineup again this year. We had an awesome time last year. We loved it this year. Josh, I think we might be back next year. I certainly hope so. This week's episode was recorded in Austin by Sean Cherry and Kari Erickson and at Hook and Fade Studios in Brooklyn by Mark Yoshizumi. Josh, you're recording yourself in Chicago. I sure am. The TalkHouse podcast theme song is composed and performed by The Range. Make sure to check out the events tab on TalkHouse.com because we have some very cool stuff coming up, including a very cool record store day event. We're curating all the DJs for Rough Trade NYC. And I'll tell you, there's going to be some really fucking cool artists coming out. Josh, on our way out to close this show, I want to say we have some very cool episodes coming down the pipeline, including... Cherry Glazer's Clem Creevy in conversation with Kate Nash and Karen O talking with Sam Spiegel. So listeners, there's your tip off. Subscribe. Until next week, I'm Josh Modell, executive editor here with Elia Einhorn, your podcast host and co-producer. Big shouts to Mark Yoshizumi, the TalkHouse producer. Woo. See you next week. Bye. Bye.